You're listening to the Tuesday Talks Podcast, your source of truth in communications, identity management, and technology. In this week's episode, Numericals Pierce Gorman and Brett Nemroff are back for part two of defining and discussing third-party call signing. This time, they're joined by industry expert and Numericals Chief Product Officer, Anise Jaffer, to continue the conversation on the sixth report and order and further notice of proposed rulemaking by the FCC regarding caller ID authentication services. Welcome to Tuesday Talks, a live discussion series where we bring truth and shed light across the brand identity and communications industry. I'm Pierce Gorman, Distinguished Member of Numerical's Technical Staff, and I'll be co-hosting today's session with Anish Jaffer, Chief Product Officer. I had to look at his name like I didn't know. Anyway, and I'll be uh, co-hosting with Brett Nemeroff, Numerical's Vice President of Engineering for Voice. Brett has close to 25 years of experience developing, delivering, and operating voice solutions with experience both as a service provider and as a customer of service providers. Welcome to the podcast, Brett and Anise. Oh, glad to be here, Pierce. Thanks, Pierce. It's a continuation of you guys having the previous conversation, so I'm just going to be a fly on the wall, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, hopefully it'll be more than a fly on the wall, but yes, absolutely. Yeah, last week, uh, or last Tuesday talk, I should say, is two weeks ago. We dove into the FCC's sixth report in order and further notice of proposed rulemaking, specifically on the topic of third-party call signing. And uh, Brett and I did our best to get through it, but there's a lot to unpack there. And uh, we only made it as far as the uh, paragraph preceding paragraph 100, or paragraph following paragraph 100, so paragraph 101. So this is it, third third-party call signing 101, as it were, the paragraph anyway. So in that in that paragraph, there is a uh, description, or I'll say that the FCC kind of lays things out about what it is they're uh, wanting to get feedback on. And in paragraph 101, they described uh, hosted shaken, carrier shaken, and shaken software as three ways that have been described for doing third-party call signing. Uh, and I remember talking with you, Anise, that um, you thought there was quite a bit of uh, material on there to help people understand what they meant by that in the in the footnotes. Would you want to review a little bit of that for the yeah, audience? Yeah, so it was interesting that the uh, they had three options, um, in the and they described those options in the footnote. Um, hosted shaken, the way it described, it's described as it's a turnkey shaken authentication and verification solution offered in a public or private cloud that includes all the required shaken components for offering a comprehensive standards compliant solution. What essentially it describes is a software as a service that could be uh, deployed in a public cloud um, or in a private cloud within um, customers uh, or a service provider's cloud environment, um, which to me uh, could be a relevant third-party kind of implementation. It makes sense. Uh, we do know that there are uh, companies that are offering this solution. So that's hosted Shaken. Uh, then they describe Carrier Shaken, which is... Um, another category of turnkey shaken services offered by a growing number of direct inward dialing or wholesale providers that also provide SIP termination to the PSTN. This service combines shaken authentication service with SIP termination. So that's how they have described it. In my mind, uh, it's describing uh, an OSP uh, that's signing calls on behalf of other resellers or wholesale providers. That's how I see it. 
I'm not sure if this is really a third-party uh, call signing kind of solution. Uh, that's why I thought we should talk about this. Uh, Brett, you had some comments on it. You had some uh, thoughts yeah. about how this is being implemented. Yeah, so on the hosted shake, and I think that that's where we typically look at, that's what we call third-party signage. Uh, for carrier shaken though, this is where it starts getting like into the gray area here. Uh, and I think one of the things that's described in the footnotes is the possibility of an entity sending calls to a carrier with the expectation that that carrier is going to take care of Sir Shaken for them. Um, now, for like an end communicating entity, maybe that's okay. But for an originating service provider sending calls to another service provider, it's really important. And this is kind of what I was talking about on our last podcast is that the certificate that's being used to sign the call uh, needs to also be useful for enforcement on that particular call. So if we're doing carrier shake and, and a service provider sends its calls to another call to another carrier and expects them to sign the calls, the problem is, is the enforcement's going to go to the wrong carrier. Uh, it's going to go to somebody who uh, isn't going to pull the plug on the customer. They're going to pull the plug on the entire carrier. So remember, one of the ATIS definitions was that you have to have a direct authenticated relationship. And the reason for that is a given carrier needs to be able to see across all of their traffic, across all the trunks that they have coming in, the differences between all of those individual customers. So when enforcement comes down, they can say, it's this customer that's sending the offensive traffic or this customer sending the offensive traffic. Um, if they don't have that di direct authenticated relationship, for example, if a reseller is not signing their own calls, but sending the calls to a downstream provider and saying, they're just gonna sign all my calls for me. The problem is, is when the enforcement comes to that carrier, they won't have the direct authenticated relationship, not necessarily at least, with the individual customers. And so they can't know who to pull the plug on. And I think that that, that totally gets around the entire spirit of what we're trying to do here. Uh, you know, one of the really good things that Sir Shaken does do is it gives us the ability to point the finger somewhere so that we can perform enforcement. And enforcement is like one of the main mechanisms that we have right now of removing robocalls. So if an entity that's signing it can't tell who's making that traffic, um, there's not a whole lot that we can do in terms of enforcement. So uh, I personally think that, you know, hosted shaken, I think that that's, I, I agree with that as long as we're using a first party certificate as a certificate from the originating service provider who's sending the calls. Um, that way enforcement works. For carrier shaken, um, it needs to be, the number one thing for me at least is the certificate has to be tied uh, to whoever is doing uh, Know Your Customer. Right, and the carrier shaken scenario would also be applicable for intermediate um, call signatures that are being added if they don't get a call, right? So if there's an intermediate service provider who's getting a call and they add a signature, would that be considered carrier shaken? I mean, you could still, yeah, you, it's absolutely, it's still carrier shaken. And hopefully by the time that it gets to that intermediate provider, it's already got a shaken certificate on it. But if it doesn't, the only thing that can really be done at that point is to attest with, with a level of C. Because we haven't done any kind of, or at least that intermediate hasn't done any kind of know your customer. So they can't tell us anything else about it. Um, attesting it with a C and putting the certificate on it um, is still a good thing to do because it still gives enforcement uh, some way of jumping as close as possible to where that traffic's coming in. Uh, it doesn't get us all the way there, but it's better than right. nothing. 
And then the last one that has been described uh, is Shaken Software uh, as a software-based Shaken solution deployed in-network by the OSP or PSP. That's how it's described. To me, this is basically uh, deployment of your of an OSP service. I don't. I'm not sure if this even if I would even consider this as a third-party uh, call signing because it's a software that's been deployed by the OSP in their network. Maybe there's another, uh, there's a vendor who has developed the software and deployed it, but regardless, if it's being deployed on the OSP and using their certificate for all practical purposes, it's first-party call signing. I don't see this as a third-party call signing. Any uh, thoughts there? Yeah, yeah Pierce, did you want to take it? Yeah, I was going to make a, a couple comments. One is it does mention terminating service providers, and I think the only comment they're saying there is uh, somebody's developed the authentication and the verification software, and so the shaken software is the combination of those two. You use the authentication server, AS server, when you're signing a call, and you use the verification server to verify a call. So it's the originating versus terminating side, but both of those are required together if you're going to be doing a, a full shaken implementation. And I wanted to make a comment on the on the carrier shaken that they uh, they are saying that it's a downstream carrier that would be doing the the calling or doing the the signing. And I think the general concern that we've seen over and over again is that that signature is the signature of that downstream service provider, not the not what we would call the originating service provider. And it it's that's the problem that Brett is pointing to. I I will say that if that downstream service provider had access. Now this would be a you know a bilateral agreement, but if they had access to the private key and to the certificate of that upstream service provider, and we're just providing a signing service, then they would be more of a classical, uh, almost hosted shaken signing service. So it'd still be a downstream carrier, but operating as a hosted shaken signing service. If that made any sense. Yeah, you know, Pierce. As much as I agree with you, the concern that I still have with that is the lack of a direct authenticated relationship, which is still possible that a downstream provider could actually know about all the individual trunk groups. Um, it still makes it really hard for a downstream provider to know uh, who's plugged to pull when enforcement shows up. It's a good point. And even though there can be information either made outboard, like put in a database or something that could be dipped by the downstream service provider, um, or you could even you know, work out some way of signing the, we'll just call it the attestation info, not signing, but sending the attestation info. Uh, I agree with you. It's, you know, it's a really not well-defined what all has to happen between the originating service provider and that downstream service provider to make sure that all the important components, the identity of the originating service provider, the private key signing so that it can be verified and the certificate all being associated with the originating service provider. So it was a nuanced thing. I, I guess I just felt like to be complete, I had to say it would be possible, but there's a bunch of junk that has to happen to make it. Uh, the, the more clearly understandable thing is hosted shake and you've got a third party signing or using the certificate of the originating service provider. Carrier shaken is the one that we're all kind of not comfortable with because it implies that you're losing the identity of the originating service provider in the call signature. And then shaken software is just, you know, you're a service provider, you want to sign and verify, you, you get some software. All right, I think that there might have been some more material, so I'm going to double check here, but I think we covered what we wanted to for the most part out of paragraph 101. 
Um, others might have questions, and if they do, um, hopefully we can get to those. Um, okay, paragraph 102. Uh, what are the pitfalls of third-party authentication? And I think we've we've gone over some of those um, already, but uh, I think Brett, you had uh, some opinions on this. Do you want to yeah, get um, us going on it? I'll just say, in my personal experience, like I haven't seen any evidence that <clears throat> the analytics engines are actually using attestation to either elevate or or or, or de-elevate, um, you know, the the amount of trust in a particular call. I haven't seen that happen. Uh, also, and it's really important because I think that the attestation levels get confused with with trust levels, perhaps. Um, just because a call is signed with a with an A <clears throat> doesn't mean that the call's good. It doesn't mean that the originator isn't spamming their end users or doing something offensive. <clears throat> so I see a lot of times people talk about they want their traffic to be an A because they don't want to be labeled. And it's important to realize that an A call can still get labeled. An a, and, and it's not just like a mistake in analytics. An A call can still be offensive, right? The only thing that an A really means is that we've got a certificate for the, for the originating service provider, and they are <clears throat> attesting that they have performed a high level of know your customer on the person who's making the call, and they know who that is. So... Um, I don't know that this is necessarily a pitfall specifically of third-party authentication. I think it's it's more of attestation. Um, yeah, those are my thoughts there. Yeah, you, uh, and, I, and I agree on the analytics side. They use attestation as one of the inputs for um, looking at what kind of call it is, but it's not the final determining factor, right? You can have a call signed as A and still be labeled as spam, and you could... Um, and for legitimate reasons, right? It could be uh, uh, an entity that is legitimately spamming, even though they get signed with A. So I think using the attestation level to to uh, say whether the call is good or not, I, I don't think that's the right intent. Yeah, yeah and keep, oh, go ahead, Brett. Keep, keep in mind, we still see plenty of calls that aren't signed at all and they don't get labeled, so, yeah. Yeah, and... and I think my comment was going to be, you know, from from my experience, it does look like uh, the call signatures and attestation are being included in um, analytics results. Um, although your your comment wasn't that they aren't, but that you didn't see evidence of it. You know, in, in terms of there's no way for you to easily tell about all of the signed calls getting a better treatment necessarily. And it's not that they're, you know, it's just that the information isn't easily available to know whether or not there was better treatment. Uh, and that it was appropriate, right? Because your point was an A-level attestation can be applied by an originating service provider who's done careful know-your-customer uh, information gathering, has a direct authenticated relationship with that uh, customer end entity, and is legitimately applying that A-level attestation versus another service provider who may have been served one or more cease and desist letters, not pay any attention at all to what kinds of calls are coming across your network, have no usable robocall mitigation plan whatsoever, and every customer gets an A-level attestation, which I call poisoning the well. So, um, and that might be part of the reason why the analytics that you can't really necessarily tell that there's been any benefit. So the concern that the third-party analytics are somehow 
impaired. I suppose that's I suppose that's true, but I don't know that you can um, get away from it by saying, "Well, now we won't use third-party call signing, or we'll get a better, you know, experience because of third-party call signing." So I think it's kind of orthogonal to um, the concern about analytics is sort of orthogonal to what are the pitfalls of um, third-party call signing? Because it's not a pitfall of third-party call signing; it's a pitfall of shaken. Right. So. Uh, but one of the points that I wanted to make, though, is that we know that there is a non-zero amount of poisoning the well. It's out there, right? We know that there's service providers out there that are putting A's on calls that don't necessarily deserve A's, that haven't done a, uh, a thorough amount of know your customer. And the thing that we have to realize in this ecosystem is that the bad actors are looking for those carriers, like actively looking for them. So as much as that is allowed out there, um, there is going to be poisoning of the well. There is going to be potentially uh, impact to the performance of analytics, you know, should they actually apply that. And, um, and that's some, something that we have to be aware of. That being said, I don't know that third-party authentication necessarily changes the equation at all for this right. particular uh, problem. Yeah, other than if it's uh, the examples that we've already given before where it's once removed or how many layers removed from the actual origination right agreed okay let me see did we have Actually, more? Chris, i wanted to add one additional note on there about with yeah, third-party authentication and where the attestation comes from the originating carrier can't ever like give up the responsibility of saying um i hereby give this call an a or i give this one a b right they can't just say well i'm using a third party they'll figure out if it's an a or a b right so uh, generally, in those circumstances where we do see appropriate use of third-party third-party signage, we'll see things like uh, the originating service provider using their own business logic to to tell those software solutions this is the attestation that we want to use. Okay, very good. And I think I see it's either a note currently or from before that Denise may be experiencing uh, strong weather where he's at. So. Well, hopefully we can keep going without interruption. Yeah, it's currently going on. Hopefully it doesn't affect the connection. Let's keep going. Yep. Okay, very good. Well, I think we've pretty well covered paragraph 102. Let's move on to paragraph 103. In that paragraph, uh, the FCC asks, should we explicitly authorize third parties and what limitations should we impose? And uh, Brett, what's your opinion on that? So... Um... I think that third parties should absolutely be allowed. And I think it's really important that we allow third parties the, the cost to like improve all of the infrastructure out there to, to support Sir Shaken is tremendous across the entire telecom ecosystem. Uh, having third parties out there does two major things for us. Number one is it reduces the financial burden of each individual company out there to do their own individual implementation of it. And the second is, is because there are additional options out there, it means that we can get this implemented uh, quicker. Uh, and that's really important because as long as we have uh, these windows of opportunity of like getting calls onto the PSTN without stir shaken, bad actors are going to abuse that. They're going to get calls out on the network that are offensive or abusive that have no stir shaken and are hard to perform enforcement on. And ultimately, if our goal is to reduce robocalling, we need to do whatever we can to increase the ability for us to perform enforcement. And having these holes where we allow 
entities to, you know, we give them a pass because it's expensive or because it's complicated with the technology. Um, as, as much as we're giving those passes, and I understand like years ago, maybe it makes sense because there has to be some amount of ramp up time, but now there are third party entities out there doing signage. Um, they should absolutely be allowed because uh, implementation is the only way we solve this problem. Okay. Um, Anise, any comments? Yeah, I have, a, I have a question here. Now, if the third party call signer is using the first party certificate, is it really a third party? Is it really third party signing? How is it different than using your tool developed by another vendor and then using your certificate to sign? Wouldn't be considered as question is, is that even considered a third-party signing if you are using first-party certificate to sign the call I, I personally I don't think that it that it is third-party signage I think there's a lot of business operations that businesses normally do that they outsource right. to third parties but they don't necessarily say you know we don't do these functions it's just an extension of an internal business process right exactly that's right? that's how I see it now so to me, calling this third-party call signing, if you're if the certificate is actually from the first party, is technically yes, it's a, it's it's third party. But then if you are using your own certificate, so it's a tool that you're using. Now, I, I had a similar discussion uh, with uh, Alec over at Transnexus <laughs> about yeah. this, and one of the one of the examples that he had given me was if you had if you were working with Amazon and you were using one of their servers, you wouldn't necessarily say Amazon's performing your business function for you if it was your code on there, if you're operating that code yourself. And I think that the, the analogy, I think it holds up, and I, and I think the important thing to understand, especially with this, consider this like hosted stir shaken or third party, I don't even like the term third party, but hosted I think actually does make a little bit more sense, is that the originating service provider owns the business logic, the decision making, the certificate, the enforcement, um, the, the buck stops at the service provider. We are never taking responsibility and giving it to this third party entity. They really have nothing to do with it other than providing the software solution. The carrier maintains responsibility. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And here's my related thought on this. Is this a case for, I'm going to say it, delegating certificates, even though this is not a you know, delegated cert as it was intended in Atis. But is there a way is there a way to call this as a delegated shaken certificate that's being given to the third party, even though the OSP is the one that, that's responsible for that cert? Is there an opportunity or is this a use case for something? I'm just throwing it out there. Pierce, I'm gonna let you take that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we could do a whole show on uh, delegated certificates in the the way that the policy was written uh, version 1.3 of the certificate policy from the governance authority um, and I I have seen uh, various comments on this but I, I would say that you know the FCC probably should have asked about certificate delegation and signatures with certificate delegation and then you know what's the third party use case there and I and I would say that you know, there's a, you know, if we think of third party as being this business relationship that Brett described where, 
you're, it's really on you to have done the signature, but you're just using a service, whether it's hosted on AWS or, you know, wherever it's hosted, it's your responsibility. You understand the obligation and you're fulfilling those functions and you're not uh, outsourcing the obligations with attestation or anything else out to anybody else. But um, specific to, to what we call delegate certificates, the ATIS 10,092 specification, um, the intent there was to allow non-service providers to be able to sign calls. And uh, one of the reasons why I think it would have been great if the FCC had explored that a little bit was to um, understand some of the pitfalls that exist in uh, that and in terms of, you know, maybe authorizing third-party signing as it relates to delegate certificates because it has a, a different set of um, pitfalls and concerns uh, associated with the what would you call it the reliability of the in the standard the subordinate certification authority which is a service provider so i think i could go into a lot of weeds on this that would take a lot of time and probably confuse the daylights out of uh the audience so i i don't want to get too far down the um, delegate certificate thing i'll just say that it's appropriate for non-service providers and the fcc's focus in the sixth report in order was really on um on stir shake and, and addressing what you might call the attest or the the signing and attestation gap that exists with within service providers. You know, just leaving TDM to the side without even talking about those kinds of technical issues with even being able to authenticate a call. Just staying with VoIP, we've had issues with service providers shows up in the robocall mitigation database as having claims to shake in compliance when they're they're not authenticating calls they don't they aren't registered with a policy administrator they aren't being issued service provider code tokens they aren't acquiring certificates you know they're they're it's what we've described internally as the third party signing with a third party certificate versus the first party certificate that uh, that Anise mentioned earlier so uh, let me see, was there any other, you said something else that made me want to comment um, generally about, but I can't remember it, so maybe I, it'll come up. I think up we have a topic for another Tuesday session, talk. so we'll, we'll do a deep dive Yeah, later. there you go. There you go. All right, so if we're done with paragraph 103, I think we'll move on to paragraph 104, uh, if I can find it. Maybe we had some more down here in our, in our script. It looks like we're good. Um, okay, so paragraph 104 addresses the costs associated with the implementation of uh, StirShake, and they wanted to know... Oh, I apologize. I'm going to go back to 103 for just one moment. It mentioned about authorization of uh, third-party signing, and Brett, you used the term allow, and allow and authorization are two different things. So yes, I agree with you that the FCC should allow third-party authentication, and if what they mean is authorized, like specifically write a rule authorizing and constraining and specifying what third party uh, call signing should look like. And I agree with your terminology where you said they should allow it. I don't know that they should necessarily authorize it and prescribe rules about what that means, other than what we've described as the first party signature whether it's applied by a third party or by the first party. It needs to be the identity of the service provider with the direct authentication, authenticated relationship with the customer end entity and who has the knowledge about whether or not they can apply an A-level attestation on that call. 
Yeah, and one of my thoughts on that, Pierce, was that um, you know the, we already have rules from the FCC on what service providers need to do. Um, I think we need to stop uh, creating these windows of, expect, of, of exceptions for service providers. So I don't know that we necessarily need uh, it to be separately authorized uh, as long as third parties signage is using a first party certificate. It's an internal business process. Carriers should be solving the problem using their own means. I agree, and that, that meets the requirements of the Trace Act either right. also in terms of getting back to the throat to choke, the neck to ring, uh, where there is uh, the admission of illegal robocalls. Yeah, on common, on common okay, there, so, Pierce, before you move on, I think the mm -hmm. FCC document um, is, is kind of asking would there be a security concern if the SPC token is shared? I think technically it's not, it shouldn't be the SPC token that is shared. It should be a certificate that's generated using the token that should that should be given to the third party call signing. That's how I see it. I I agree with you. And then uh, that third party that would be signing with the first party identity information would also be using the private key in their authentication server that's associated with that first party originating service provider. So the SBC token really is just a technical piece that's used between the policy administrator, a service provider, and a certification authority. It's not really germane. As far as signing is concerned, you need a private key and you need a certificate with a public key that can verify what was signed with, this, with the private key. So it's a good point. All right, well, uh, let's see. Let's move on to 104, see if we can get through the rest of the paragraphs. Um, paragraph 104 addressed the costs uh, associated with the implementation of stir shaken and they wanted to know if there was any benefit or I'll just say that they wanted to know if there was any benefit Brett what do you think yeah I, I touched on this a little bit uh, a minute ago uh, stir shaken carries a you know significant financial burden for for carriers so uh, I, I think having third-party signage allowing third-party uh, hosted stir shaken uh, makes stir shaken more accessible to more carriers and I think ultimately that's good for the entire ecosystem. I agree. All right and then there was a question about how to monitor implementation by third parties and uh, and should it be included in the robocall mitigation database and um, I have an opinion on that but what's your uh, opinion well let me see we're gonna go with Anise or Brett let's go with Brett because it's the Brett show today <laughs> go ahead Brett. <laughs> I, I don't think that we should we should uh, re require service providers to divulge necessarily that they're using third parties as long as they're using the right certificates and they're following the rest of the rules and regulations. That's an internal business process, and I feel like it's an overreach by giving the FCC the authority to record that information. That being said, um, I do think that for service providers to indicate in the robocall mitigation database that they're fully stir shaken compliant. They, uh, they do need to absolutely be signing calls with their own certificate. I think that that's really important. Yeah, I would agree with that. I have similar thoughts. It's basically, if, you're, if a service provider is using a third party as, a, as an internal tool or an outsourcer, then, and they're using their own certificate, then I don't think FCC needs to say anything about how it needs to be compliant. It's, it's on the OSP too. Yeah. I agree with you, and the FCC asked, you know, how they would certify to that, and I, uh, I have a, a pet idea that you wouldn't just say, oh, I, I'm going to do it, and you kind of hope that they do. I think they ought to be required to make a phone call to an interactive voice response server hosted by the FCC, 
and also get a report whether or not they successfully verified. Their identity is going to be in that call when they make that certification call. So it would be more than just attesting to it in the robocall mitigation database. It would be a real live network test. But anyway, I think it's a great idea because a lot of people depend on their downstreams and just basically say that they're compliant, but they're not really. This would uh, require them to prove it. Yep, I agree. Well, I think we're out of time. And so uh, we almost made it to paragraph 106. If we have any uh, folks who regularly join Tuesday Talks and want to hear about paragraph 106, let us know. We can maybe get a blog, respond to you privately. Uh, I doubt we'll do a, call, uh, a whole Tuesday Talks on it, though. So uh, we'd like to thank all of you for joining us for another episode of Tuesday Talks. We'll be taking a week off for the 4th of July holiday, but we'll be back live on Tuesday of July 11th with Numericals Rebecca Johnson and a special guest, Doug Renally, founder and CEO of Gated Networks Incorporated. So be sure to register to join us live. We hope to see you there. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to another episode of Tuesday Talks. We'll be off for the week of the July 4th holiday, so our next live episode will be in three weeks on Tuesday, July 11th, when Numericals founder and CEO Rebecca Johnson sits down with special guest Douglas Renali, founder and CEO of Gated Networks Incorporated. Please join us in our mission to promote transparency and collaboration to return trust to communications. Simply click the link to register and join us at the live show. Invite a friend and be sure to submit a question that you'd like to have answered live. We hope to see you there.